Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name is Josiah and I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. Throughout the history of the Christian church, believers have often used opposition as a catalyst to return to the Bible, to think clearly and communally, and to solidify right positions on specific subjects. For example, early misunderstandings and erroneous anti-biblical teachings on the person and work of Jesus prompted the early church to articulate the orthodox understanding of Christ that we stand atop today. So, in response to error came clarity. You know, it's often the case that hardship gives opportunity for growth and, and the pruning of ideas and thoughts and increased lucidity and conviction. I feel we've been given such an opportunity today when it comes to the topic of the church, the local church, and the study of the church, which is called ecclesiology. You know, it's now been about six months since the coronavirus forced us all apart, forced us inside our homes, and forced us away from what we had become accustomed to when it comes to the gathered church family. We were forced online at Oak Ridge anyway, mainly because we have the resources to do that. Some churches don't have those. Then we started gathering again as the government allowed us. We gathered again slowly, but in modified ways and, and in the hybrid strategy of online and in-person. You know, these circumstances have given us, at least I think so, an opportunity to think about what the church is, what it's supposed to be doing, and what it doesn't have to be doing. What are the essentials of a church family? Is online church even church? And most importantly, what does the Bible say about all of this? So I want to do a little series of episodes on this podcast. I'm not sure how many episodes this will take. We'll have to see. But I want to do a series of episodes talking about this issue and, and Lord willing, bring us some clarity and increased conviction along the way. And to help us do that, I've asked a friend of mine to join me. Jay Hines is the pastor of Church of the Open Bible in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, and he's done a good deal of thinking on the subject of the church, and he's going to aid us in our exploration of this doctrine over the next number of weeks. And so welcome, Jay. It's good to chat with you again. Great to be here. Well, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more than I already did, and then give us a snapshot of maybe what it's been like for your church during these past few months. The listeners obviously know what's going on in our church, but across the country, what has it been like during this uh, COVID-19 deal? Sure. Well, um, I am prairie born and uh, grew up in southern Manitoba. I am married to Colleen, my lovely wife, for 18 years. We have four kids from the age of 13 to three, and we're expecting another one. And uh, I've been in pastoral ministry now for, oh, about 15 years. Started in a sort of a suburb, suburban church just outside of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan for five years, a little over that and then spent over seven years pastoring a small rural church in northern BC. And now I've been here as the lead pastor of Church of the Open Bible and Swift Current for a year and a half. So that's been my ministry experience. Love the pastorate and love talking about the Bible with my good friend, Josiah. Hey, all right. I'll take it. <laughs> so what's it been like for you guys out there uh, during this uh, COVID-19 business the last six months? Yeah, it's been different. I mean, I always tell people, you know, what we do hasn't changed, just how. And initially, we were, you know, because of the restrictions, because of mandatory, well, isolation or whatever they were calling it, 
we were not able to meet together. Come to think of it, I'm not sure exactly how long that was, a few months, but we offered online services. We, well, we started doing a few other new things we hadn't done before online, utilizing social media. So for example, I, I started a series through the Psalms every day on, on our Facebook page, stuff like that. We also you know, wanted to maintain our pastoral ministry with our people. We wanted to stay connected. We wanted to know we cared. We wanted to be praying for them, encouraging them in any way we could. So as leaders, we put a real emphasis on contacting our people uh, on the phone and in other ways as well, which was actually a special, special ministry. It was, it was a good timing for me because it's still a relatively new pastor. Uh, there were still a lot of people. Our church is uh, about three, 350 people. So still a lot of people I had never really had much of a conversation with. So by those phone calls, I actually was able to have a lot more of those conversations, connect with people, uh, feel a little more like their pastor. And so that was, that was great. But yeah, since as soon as we could, which was at the end of June, as soon as we could start meeting together again, we started up and uh, following the regulations, which are maybe a little bit stricter than places like Alberta, but less probably than it is for you guys there. And it's been encouraging. We have just seen, Every week, more and more people coming. We just uh, found out that we can start meeting with even more people. So it looks like we could get close to having the entire church, or at least everyone who is able to come who doesn't have uh, serious health concerns, meeting again. So we are anticipating that. We're looking forward to that and, and just hoping and praying that we will be all together as a body very soon. So during this time, I said in the introduction that it is probably provided us an opportunity to think about the church and our ecclesiology and what it means to be the church. Have you felt that tension as well out there? Or is that just me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There is, well, you know, as I've talked to people on the phone and, and many people saying, Hey, you know, we really appreciate the online services, but still don't necessarily see a need at this point to come in person to worship the Lord with the body and, you know, so that's, that's definitely raised some questions about, okay, what, what is our understanding of the church? If, if there's still a number of people who, as far as I know, don't have any health reasons for, for not coming, why aren't they coming? And it seems to me that the answer is most likely ecclesiological. And that's been something we've been discussing as elders and definitely uh, as staff as well and uh, important to consider. So yeah, so it's definitely something, um, you know, also just hearing about what some other churches are doing in our own association, in our province, in the world, you know, that has definitely raised a lot of questions. As for example, we've seen churches who are very happy to continue not meeting in person, some who are intentionally doing that, and maybe even are planning on not meeting altogether as a body to worship on Sundays, uh, even once it's over. So obviously that raises a whole host of questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no kidding. I, so I guess the place to start then is to start ground level at the beginning. And that's kind of the purpose of this series. We want to, instead of just outright disagreeing with brothers and sisters like that, we want to go back to the beginning. What does the Bible say uh, about the church and how should we understand the gathering of God's people from God's word? And so maybe to start with, why don't I just ask you the simple question, what is the church of Jesus Christ? Simple in scare quotes. What is the simple yeah, right. church? 
Yeah, simple question, not so simple answer. And, you know, I was thinking about this. So we can look at it in a number of different ways. We could look at it, first of all, uh, etymologically. So what does the word mean? So the Greek, it's ekklesia, which simply meant an assembly. Usually it had a political sense. You know, we see that like in Acts 19, where the, uh, the people of the city gather together in that way. But the New Testament starts to use it in a different way, in a religious sense. And so that basically the word itself came to mean the assembly of professing believers in Christ. Uh, and the focus went away from just a gathering, though that's still key, and, and maybe to an event or a place, to the people, and the people gathered. Uh, and, and it's interesting because, of course, in English, we often use the word church in a lot of different ways. So yes, we can refer to the church as the people, but we probably tend to use it more as an event or a place. I still remember years ago working with a, a refugee from Colombia, teaching him English and his English was pretty good, but he, he wanted to know what word we use to describe uh, the people of God, the, the believers in Christ who are gathered together, the church. And in Spanish, he was, he was asking me about it and and uh, I said, well, it, it's church. And, and he said, no, 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 no. But, but what are the, again, in, in broken English, like, what do you call the people? I said, well, the church. No, 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 not, not the building. What, what are the people called? I said, well, the church. And he was so confused. And I finally realized what was going on and said, oh, well, we call the people the church and we call the building the church and we call the event church. And he just looked at me and said, that is wrong. <laughs> I thought, yeah, good point. Uh, but, but again, basically in its, in its essential sense, it's the assembling of, uh, believers in Christ together, uh, which of course has huge implications, especially in our, in our digital age and during this, this time of COVID. And, and there seems to be obviously in, in Acts 9 with Saul's conversion, he later becomes mm -hmm. Paul and Jesus, the resurrected glorified Christ appears to him and says, why are you yeah. persecuting me? Associating mm -hmm. himself with his church, his people, like you said. Yeah. Um, now it's the church gathered, um, but is there a sense in which the church exists when we are not together on Sunday? Yeah, so that was just um, what the church is, again, based on the word, but we also need to know what it is theologically, right? So, you know, we can start with, first of all, you know, in studying the New Testament teaching on the church, it's helpful to recognize the authors are speaking of, and often in two different categories, so often we talk about the universal church and the local church. I think that's a helpful distinction to make the universal church is all believers in Christ in all places, in all times. We see that, uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where it talks about you all were baptized into one body. That's the one body of Christ. Or where it talks in Ephesians 1, 22, 23, Christ is the head of the body. This is talking about the, the universal church. But then there's also the local church. This is how the word is most commonly used in the New Testament. And this would refer to all the professing believers in Christ in one locality or one assembly, right? Who, who come together to gather, have that relationship, that commitment. And, you know, we see that, of course, most clearly in the New Testament's epistles where we read about the church in Rome, you know, at the beginning of, or at the end of Romans or first Corinthians, you know, the church in Corinth and first Corinthians and second Corinthians, as Paul is talking about uh, who, who his letters written to, you know, Galatia, Thessalonica, et cetera. So that's, that's one helpful way of thinking about it, that it's the people, uh, the universal church, all believers in Christ, all places and all times, but then also we want to refer to primarily the local church, which is all the professing believers in one locality, in one assembly. But what you were getting at, I think, 
has to do with a lot of the New Testament images we find in the church. It's interesting that much of the teaching in the New Testament about the church uses imagery, uh, helpful imagery. Probably the most frequent and most important is the body of Christ. And just the way that's used tells us so much about what the church is theologically. So, of course, the body of Christ, Christ is the head of the body. So it talks about his authority over the church. Um, it speaks of the unity. It talks about one body without distinction, right? Neither Jew nor Gentile, that sort of thing. And yet it also talks about diversity, just like a body. So we have the head, right, which has the authority, which in the church is Christ. There's, there's unity in the sense that all the different parts of a physical body are still one body. There's diversity. There's these different parts, these different members. In the church, it's the same. Different members, different gifts. Of course, just like a physical body with growth, uh, all the parts need to be functioning properly for there to be growth. And then most importantly, though, with this image of the body of Christ has to do with our identification with Christ. And I think this is what you were getting at. So there's this connection theologically between what's called our union with Christ, that through faith in Christ, we are now identified with Christ. But we're not identified just as individuals, we're identified all together as one body. And so that's where we, we see, like you said, with Paul and his conversion, where Jesus says, why are you persecuting me when he's persecuting the church? There's this close identification of the church and of Christ. And, uh, you know, we see that also in, in Acts, where at the beginning, it talks about, here's all that Jesus said and did in his life. But the implication there afterwards, when he talks about the apostles and, and his commission for them, is that the, the work and teaching of Christ hasn't ended. It's continued. It continues in the church who's been indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I think that's really important. And that, that really puts the, well, the glory of the church, the importance of the church, uh, just the, the weightiness of the church in, in perspective. We are the representatives of Christ in this world. We are identified with him. And of course, there's other images that help us think about it too. There's, we're the bride of Christ. The church is a building, a priesthood, a flock a family, all, all, all of those images just give, again, slightly different uh, takes and emphases on, on what it means to be this, this universal body of all believers, but also that universal body uh, on display in local uh, gatherings and assemblies as well. That's a good overview. There's a lot going on there, and I, I think we'll yeah. unpack that as the series goes on. Um, but good overview, Jay. So let's pull it back now and talk about... Um, maybe on a personal vein, uh, we as pastors, we're both serving as pastors. We obviously feel the church is important. I mean, we've dedicated our lives to serving the bride of Christ, but also a local expression of that, that, uh, mm -hmm. that body as well. Um, maybe what, maybe talk about what significant role has the local church played in your life personally? I know it has in mind. But I want to hear from you, maybe your salvation, your sanctification, how has it affected you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I was blessed to grow up in the church. My parents were new believers, and they connected with the church. It's a little Pentecostal church, actually, uh, where I grew up. And I mean, I have nothing but fond memories of the church. And the church was central in our family life. You know, all of our closest friends were part of our church. Uh, Sunday morning was just this wonderful time, Sunday school, worship service. Loved it. Loved the people. There was lots of joy and excitement in the church. 
you know, we spent time with, with people outside of there. I mean, I, probably one of my fondest memories would be our church retreats that we did every year, going to a camp and just being together. And so many of those people in the church, so many of those adults really became like second parents to me. So, you know, I have those fond memories, love it. And, and I think that's important. You know, I, I remember reading about the different stages of development in children and how that, how we as parents and also, I guess, as, as pastors and people ministering to children should be aware of those stages so that we can disciple them according to where they're at in their development. And I remember it suggesting that at the earliest ages, what you mostly want to do is implant positive memories, positive feelings, uh, positive attitudes into your children about the church. And I just think that was so true for me, you know, and, and, and also just that it was because it was such an important part of our life that also just was normal, you know, and in a way, I think as a young child, I just thought, well, this is how everybody lives, right? I mean, everybody has this extended family and we have these family gatherings every Sunday morning, these joyous occasions. And we go and do these special family holidays, retreats together. And, you know, we eat together and serve together and laugh together. It's just this beautiful thing. As far as my salvation goes, you know, coming to faith as a young child, uh, you know, my parents were involved in that, but for sure, Sunday school teachers, the testimonies of other believers on Sunday all played a part in that. As a youth though, you know, it was interesting. I was reflecting on this the other day and in, in my later teenage years, I, I rebelled quite strongly against uh, my faith and biblical morality, kind of getting into everything you can imagine. But I kept coming to church and I didn't have to, you know, my parents weren't making me, but I just kept coming. It was, it was interesting. And, and I was thinking, you know, what, what, why? Uh, and the only thing I can think of is, I mean, it was just such an integral part of my life that even when I was in rebellion, even when I was not following Christ, even when I had all kinds of questions and, and all of that, I still continued to come to church. And, you know, I'll just be really blunt and honest, and I'm ashamed of this, but most Sundays I would come to church hungover, but I still came to church. Often I would go to youth inebriated, but I still went to youth. I never missed it. And in all of that, I think part of it too was that these people stuck with me. I mean, they were family, even though I was in a sense rejecting, well, I was rejecting Christ and, and rejecting his word. I, I wasn't rejecting them and they didn't reject me. And I think that's what ultimately was a huge part that the Lord played in bringing me around. Mm. Uh, they prayed for me. They encouraged me. They didn't reject me. And then they rejoiced when I uh, decided to, again, follow Christ. So huge, huge part in that. I mean, yeah, I couldn't say enough. Uh, and, and by the way, too, in my teenage years, then we, we actually moved to a, a different church, uh, a Midnight Brethren church. Some of the people from the Pentecostal church had come over too, but it, it was just, I'd like these two families that I had growing up that were just wonderful. And then, and then just quickly as an adult too, the church of course continued to have a huge impact on me. And I'll just say this, when I felt the call to ministry, someone who I respected very well, an older man who I'd been working with, uh, volunteering with when we did ministry to refugees after university. And he, he, just, he just said this to me. He said, you know, when, when you go back, we were in the States, and he said, when you go back to Canada and you start looking for a church and 
you find a church and they call you and, and you pastor there, just know this, you're going to go thinking that you are going to change them. But in reality, they will change you far more. And, you know, maybe just a young guy thinking I kind of knew everything and I had all these ideas and I'm going to go change it. He was absolutely right. I didn't believe him at the time, but absolutely right. Um, again, not to get too much into my story, but the first church I went to at that point, because of, some, because of my education, I had moved more towards, for lack of a better word, theological liberalism or progressivism. But I went to a church that was in a more liberal progressive denomination, but a church that was more, again, for lack of a better word, conservative or evangelical. And I thought too, well, I'm going to influence them. I'm going to maybe move them towards this progressive agenda. And in the end, back to opposite they had this huge effect on me towards moving me uh, towards biblical orthodoxy and uh, again, evangelical convictions. And I praise the Lord for that. Um, it, that. That church played such a huge role in certain people in it. And then pastorally, you know, that church, the church before coming here, uh, our church in, in Northern BC just had a huge impact on me pastorally. Most of all, because it was such a, a unique church, such a diverse church uh, in that area. There just for whatever reason are so many really interesting, unique people. And I just learned to love that diversity. I still just love those people so much. And it, it made me appreciate the diversity and maybe appreciate the gifts of people whom I wouldn't maybe naturally be drawn to, or we'd have very different personalities, but because of our bond in Christ and our church, they became family again. And I, and I just love them to death and, and miss them terribly. And, and I can see that happening here now in, in Swift Current as well. So, You speak so highly of the church, and yet I'm going to assume that all of those churches you mentioned, from the Pentecostal church to the church in northern BC, none of them would claim themselves to be perfect churches. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. No, and not. yet there's still a blessing in being part of an imperfect church, a bunch of imperfect people trying to together depending on the holy spirit become more like christ together as a community yes yeah ab absolutely and and really you know when i think of th those churches and i think about our, the church here as well probably some of the <laughs> some of the things i'm most thankful for some of the people i'll say this that i'm most thankful for are the people that often gave me the most grief because the Lord providentially put them in my life to, well, first of all, to sanctify me, to show me how do I love those who I don't always agree with? How do I love those who criticize me? How am I patient with people who aren't uh, at the same place as I am? All of that. And, and, and who also taught me how to, how to pastor, you know, because so much of pastoring is patience. So much of pastoring is loving our enemies even sometimes. And sometimes those enemies are even in the church. That has been huge for me. And it's, it's humbled me. You know, it's made me realize, I mean, I always tell people in God's, with God's sense of humor, ironic sense of humor, the people that probably had the greatest effect on my sanctification are the people that gave me the most grief. And, uh, you know, there's so many areas of my life and my ministry weaknesses that I needed to have pointed out. 
And so often I'd say, God, really? Why does it have to be this person who's pointing it out? Because <laughs> they, they're not going to say it in the nicest way or whatever else. Couldn't it have been this person? And yet again, it was, it was all part, part of God's sanctification in my life. So I praise the Lord that the church is imperfect because he uses imperfect people. And I'm sure other people would testify that same with, with me as well, a very imperfect person. But he uses us as imperfect people in the body of Christ to, to bless each other and sanctify each other, teach us how to love one another. That sounded like an open invitation to criticize you, to really, to really work on your sanctification. So everyone listening to this, yeah, right, go to exactly. Jay's church, give him grief. He will later praise the Lord for yeah. you. <laughs> I was going to say, like you, my experience in the church, albeit an imperfect church, was uh, incredibly providential and the Lord using the local church as imperfect as it was to call me back to himself. And so I'll ever be thankful for it. And obviously, as I said at the beginning, you and I are in favor. We are pro-church as evidenced by our vocation, right? We are uh, for the local church. But it seems to me that not all people and not even all believers, interestingly enough, uh, share our conviction for the importance of of the centrality of the local church in the life of the Christian, right? A lot of people, as you mentioned at the beginning, are moving away from it and perhaps betraying a an immature view, uh, at least an immature biblical view of the church. Uh, why do you think that is? You know, why has the church or, or body life fallen on such hard times as of late? Hmm. Good question. I mean, there's so many reasons. I think one of the, I think we have to differentiate between the church in the West and the church in the rest of the world when it comes okay, to yeah. this question as well. Okay. You know, in my experience with Christians and with churches and other places, this isn't really a problem. So that makes me wonder what's different. I think probably, so this would be more culturally speaking, the great, one of the greatest problems is our wealth. And, and added to that, our, our emphasis, our, our idolatry, really, of personal autonomy. Uh, it's, it's all about me, the individual. It's all about me improving myself living my life, reaching my dreams and my goals and my visions at the expense of others often. So other people are there to be used in order for my benefit. And, and, and as much as possible, I want them to be unnecessary. And because of our wealth, we can, we can get away with that. Mm-hmm. Because of our wealth and our technology and, and everything else, we, we can, in a lot of ways, well, just simply replace people with money, replace people with technology, replace people with whatever else. And, and because of that, we, I mean, I think that's a huge part of why we see such a lack of commitment in relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendships, whether it's the church. We, we don't want to commit to a group of people or even individuals because that might get in the way of me realizing my full potential. Uh, Another part of it too is with what we might call membership in a, in a community of people that's, that's borrowing from uh, Wendell Berry. I think, you know, he's, he's pretty popular with a lot of people. I love him because I I have a huge interest in, in, sustainable agriculture and that but but anyway he he talks a lot about having membership and how that's missing now in so many communities 
we don't belong to a people or a place anymore. We're just these autonomous individuals floating around from place to place. But when you have a real sense of membership, I belong to this place, I belong to these people, whether it is a local community or a local church, then there is responsibility. There is a sense in which um, I'm not just going to jump ship and abandon these group of people when things aren't going my way or when they're no longer useful to me, right? And again, that's something I think that people in other places of the world by necessity recognize as important because they don't have, they can't rely on their wealth and, and other things. So I think that's a huge part of it. And, you know, we see that not just in the church, but it's community organizations. You know, I've been involved in coaching kids sports and how it is almost impossible to find volunteers because people just do not want to commit. They don't want the responsibility they, and they don't see the need to belong to any group or any people or community. So that's a huge topic, but I think that's a huge part of it. It's just, it's a cultural phenomenon for sure. But, you know, as pastors, we also know that in the church, the other issue is there's just a lack of emphasis in our teaching, our preaching, our evangelism about the corporate nature of the Christian life. So we, we like to emphasize you know, personal faith or having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is true and that's good and that's biblical. But we forget that while the Christian faith is personal, it is absolutely not private. And Christ has saved us, not just as individuals, but as a body, as a bride, whom he has called out to be his people. And I think what happens is because, again, culturally, we have such an individualistic view of ourselves, we tend to then see the scriptures through a very individualistic, um, hyper-personal, and, and often very therapeutic lens. So, so we come to the scriptures and we ask, for example, what does this mean for me? Rather than what I think the New Testament authors would rather have us do and what are more often doing is saying, what does this mean for us? That, that, is, that just has huge implications. And, and as preachers, we get so easily caught up in that. And, and we can lose the corporate language of the New Testament. And we can lose that in our preaching. We can lose that in our prayers. We can lose that in, in so much of our, our ministry. And so that seeps into then the, the attitudes and understandings of our people. That they view the Christian faith as about, it, it's ultimately about me and Jesus not us and Jesus. Uh, another big issue, of course, is technology, uh, which, you know, that can be a whole nother discussion as well that gets in the way, you know, and, and this, of course, has been happening right now with COVID. Well, I, I have church on my computer. Why do I need church in person? And the church on my computer, I can, again, here's the individualism, I can suit it around my tastes, my preferences, my needs. So, I really like this church's music or this band's music. So that'll be that part of the worship. And then, oh, this is my favorite preacher over here. I'll listen to him. That all comes into it. And then finally, and this is something you and I have talked about a lot. We, as sort of broad evangelicalism, I believe, have a very low view of corporate worship and of the elements of corporate worship. And especially the preaching of the word and what you know we've talked about this too what what i love martin lloyd jones talks about in, in his book preaching and preachers he talks about the romanticism or the romance of preaching 
And in the preaching moments, which you cannot capture on a screen, but the moments when the Holy Spirit is moving amongst the gathered people, as Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in name, I'm there with them. He's there with us. He's always with us in the indwelling spirit, but he's with us in a different way when we're all together. And, and the, the word, it's not just the word, but it's with conviction and power in the Holy Spirit. And, and the people are having ears to hear and they're listening and they're receiving it. And there's this back and forth spiritual moment. Something powerful is happening. We, we, we have such a rationalistic, pragmatically, and just sees it as an information dump into my mind that can happen via a screen. And what's the difference between that and being in a service? And if we, we don't know what that's like, if we haven't tasted that, if we haven't seen how that is clearly there in the scriptures, we, we're not going to care a whole lot about whether we are gathered together as the church, for example, on Sunday mornings for the Lord's, on the Lord's day for worship and preaching, or if we're just watching it on a screen, it's no different. Uh, but there is a difference. And when people taste that difference and, and experience that, they long for it. But that's not emphasized. And I think that's a big reason why people just are like, meh, I'll just watch on, I'll watch on TV. I'll watch online, that sort of thing. I don't know if we have time, but I, I just think of a, a story really quickly that I, uh, in a documentary, Logic on Fire, which is a documentary of Martin Lloyd-Jones, I remember there's, there's an interview with a man, I think he maybe has worked with Banner of Truth Ministries, and there was a Banner of Truth conference he said he was at. And, and again, maybe it wasn't Martin Lloyd-Jones. Maybe it was a different guy, but it kind of was getting at what, what Lloyd-Jones is talking about there, the preaching moment. He said he was recording. It was his job to record the sermon, but the recording booth was in another room. So he, could, he wasn't in the same room with everyone gathered, but he was listening in real time. And he said, as the sermon went on, he, he really could sense this is a powerful sermon. The Lord is doing something uh, here. Like this is, this, is, this is a really good sermon. And, and so, you know, when it was over, he turned off the machine and he, he went into the hall and then went into the room where everyone was gathered. And it was complete silence. People were, <clears throat> were weeping. Uh, there, was, there was just a sense of awe and, and prayer. And he's like, what is going on? So he waits. And then afterwards, the preacher comes up and, or someone else who was running the, the conference came up and just said, you know, I, I think we all just need to go from here and take some time to reflect on what we just heard and what we just experienced with the presence of the Lord through the preaching of the word. And, and afterwards, he said the entire conference, everyone was talking about how powerful this moment was in, pre, in, in the preaching of the word. And he missed it. He was just in the other room and he missed it. He said, I, I didn't even know exactly what was going on. And it just, it grieved him because he missed that moment. And it's that sort of thing. And we're not, you and I aren't mystical. We're not talking about some kind of, you know, mystical experience. The Holy Spirit's always present, but there are times there, there's, there's this working of the spirit through the preaching of the word when the people that are gathered that you cannot replicate. And that's just one example of it. And I think because we don't emphasize that, People don't see uh, Lord's Day worship or body life as a whole as that important as well. Hey, you have a number of good reasons why the church is falling on hard times today. This importance of corporate worshiping, being there live for um, the preaching, the Lord's Supper, all of those things. You mentioned uh, autonomy. 
um, self-glorification, wealth, all of these, and just a general misunderstanding of what the Bible talks about, of being in the communal gathering of God's people. Mm -hmm. Briefly, what do you think a remedy for that PR problem is for the church today? Like, how do we begin to turn that ship around in evangelicalism uh, in North America? Well, we absolutely need to avoid being pragmatic, which is what most churches are doing. Okay, we're, we're not seeing church attendance. So, for example, I read a, a article a while ago that I thought really was good, really hit this on the head. Um, it was, uh, I think, a guy from a Reformed Church, Reformed Church of Canada. He was just reflecting in this article about how when he was a child in, in that tradition, there was sort of a um, twice on Sunday worship, right? That, that, was, the, that was the assumption. You're, you're in church twice. If, if you're going to be growing, if you're going to be faithful to the church, you will be there for the Sunday morning service and you'll be there for the Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening service. And that was just assumed. That was like the base level. Like, of course, you were going to be here Sunday morning and Sunday evening and probably Wednesday night for prayer meeting. And that's true for, I think, most church traditions a few generations ago. Well, he just made the comment. He's like, in one generation now as a pastor, he has seen that change to now the norm isn't twice a Sunday, it's twice a month. And he actually did a survey of their church, all of very committed people, many of their leaders of how often they had been uh, gathered together for worship as a church. And yeah, even their, even their strongest leaders, it was around two or three times a month. And it's just an example of how dramatically things have changed. I think another survey um, recently, it was something like 46% of evangelical Christians say they're highly involved. And by highly involved, all that means is that they, regu they regularly attend Sunday service and then are involved in one other ministry. That's highly involved. And only 46% are. So, you know, we, we see that, that big shift for sure. And Obviously, the pragmatic answer is, what do people want so we can change this? We have to avoid that at all costs. How do we get people back into church regularly? And what do they want or what do they think they need? We need to figure that out so that we can give it to them. This is marketing 101. It's consumer marketing. Pull the audience, hear what they want and give it to them. But in the church setting, and this is, you're touching on this with the pragmatism of the church, it is bringing secular market strategies into God's church and ignoring the fact that God has told us how he wants his church run. He has told us how he wants to be worshipped. And we have made it so that the tail is totally wagging the dog. And we are polling the sheep now, some of whom are very immature, like the author of Hebrews talks about them being on milk rather than meat. There are some mature mm -hmm. believers, but some are immature. And now they, instead of the elders who meet the qualifications for elders, are now steering the ship and guiding. It's almost like you're mentioning pragmatism is something we need to avoid to, uh, so that we can turn this around. But I would almost say that pragmatism is the reason we're here in the first place. Mm -hmm. That, that because yeah. we have uh, sought to give people what they want rather than do things God's way, we have found ourselves in a place where coronavirus has uncovered what has been hidden, which is a really immature, stunted, unbiblical ecclesiology. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll give you one example of that. A pragmatic church is saying, okay, we're losing people and we want to attract people and we, or we're not seeing as many people on Sunday morning, even if they, they still consider us their church, they're not coming. And most people especially are going to say, and we especially need the young people to be here. So what should we do? Well, I know we need more of an online presence. We need to spend a whole lot of money on a bunch of fancy video equipment and, you know, fog machines and lighting and all that kind of stuff. And we need to hire someone to do this. We need a bit better online presence. We need state-of-the-art videography and all of that. That's how we're going to attract people. The irony is that it's done the exact opposite. All that does now is gives people, gives people an even, even more of a reason to stay at home because now they have this you know, state-of-the-art experience at home. The very thing people were trying to do to grow the church actually stunts the church. And which is why, you know, I was talking to a, we were joking around with uh, another, another past, two pastors from a, a sister church, my associate and I, and we were talking about our, uh, th or their, sorry, um, what do you call it? Their live feed, their, their, uh, on Sunday mornings. And they're just doing it, you know, kind of by the seat of their pants. And our associate pastor was bugging their associate pastor, who's in charge of that, that, yeah, it seems like your live streaming is actually getting worse. And he's like, well, yeah, in the end, maybe that's kind of the idea. We just want it to be so bad that people, <laughs> people want to come. They can't stand it anymore, you know? And, uh, and, and that church, I mean, you know, he was joking, but that church is thriving. That church is to the, right now full. They have all their people wanting to come back because they're not a pragmatic church and that's not where their priority stands. So that's just one example of where, like you said, pragmatism shoots you in the foot really. Yeah. But you know, if we're not going to be pragmatic, then of course we need to be biblical. <laughs> we need to be biblically faithful. We need to be not asking what do people want, but what do people truly need? We need to be asking, well, what do people say about this? And we need to be asking, what does God say about this? And that is, Ultimately, the question needs to be what, I think, what was it that made the church gathering and church life, body life, so important, so vital to the early Christians? Because that's what we see. You know, I think of Acts 2.42. I mean, that is the picture of the church that we long for, right? It's that they, were de they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And of course, it goes on sharing their possessions day by day. They were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving food with glad, generous hearts. You know, they were devoted. It was, it was their life. They were completely committed to that, uh, to those, that course of action and to those people. And I, I just read that and think that's what I want. So then, okay, well, context, what was it? Like what happened in the previous verses that brought us to 42 and this first snapshot of the church and this just devotion and this love for being together and being in the word and praying and fellowship. Well, first of all, what happens at the beginning of chapter two at Pentecost? Well, the Holy spirit comes and he, for the first time baptizes believers into the body of Christ. But it's interesting. It doesn't just say they were baptized. It says they were all filled with the Holy spirit. That's the first key. I mean, if we want to be, if we want our churches to be full of people who just are devoted to the church, who love being together, loves Lord's Day worship, they need to be filled with the spirit. And it's interesting in Ephesians 5.18, where Paul gives that command, be filled with the spirit, which in context we know means be controlled by him, right? Just as alcohol controls a person, because he says, don't get drunk for that as debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. We are to be controlled by the spirit. Well, what, what happens 
what happens when people are filled with the spirit? It's really interesting, right? In Ephesians 5, 18, he says that then in 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So what happens when you're filled with the spirit? You want to sing to one another, right? You want to, you want to be together singing praises to God. You want to give thanks, it goes on together. You want to submit to one another. When we're filled with the spirit, we immediately uh, start to get into the one another's, right? Which are the, what is it? 59 different commands of what we are to do together as the church, right? And of course we can't fulfill those one another's unless we are with one another, with the church. And so they're filled with the spirit. That's, that's, the, that's the first biblical answer if we want to be devoted like that. But then secondly, what, what happens as soon as they're filled with the spirit, what happens? Peter goes and preaches the gospel they immediately move to evangelism. So again, if we want to have churches that are devoted to one another, devoted to Lord's Day worship and the rest, like the early church, well, are we engaging in evangelism? Are we preaching the gospel? Because what happens, they preach the gospel and then 3,000 souls are saved and the church gathers together. I think that's another missing key. I, I, you know, I was thinking about it, churches I've been a part of, churches I've heard about. I don't know if I've ever known of a church that is truly devoted to personal evangelism and to the public preaching of the gospel and where people are getting saved that is not also passionate about being together. And that's because they have this focus and, and it's because there's, there's, there's joy. I mean, everybody loves being in church when there's a baptism. And, and someone's giving their testimony, a new believer. There's rejoicing. This is exciting. It's exciting and encouraging when people are starting to go and, and, and share the gospel with their neighbors and friends and coworkers. And, and that's contagious. And you want to hear about it. And you want to be together. There's also a sense of when we take our evangelistic, our, our, our mission seriously, we realize, man, I need to get equipped. I, I, I am weak. I, I, I don't feel up to this. So I want to be in the church. I want to be equipped, which is of course uh, key to, to the church life as well. So uh, that's just another example. And then finally too, just in 42 and 47, there is this repetition of the fellowship that they're experiencing. And I think when believers are experiencing that true fellowship, that, that Christ-centered community, you just want more and more of it. And that's what we've seen here you know, in, in, in COVID, when we were not able to meet, what I heard again and again and again is, oh, I am just longing for fellowship and not just fellowship with one other person or one other couple in the church with everyone. I'm longing for that time where we're just there together in spirit. And then when afterwards we're able to share life together. So we looked at Acts 2. Those are three key components of why they were devoted. And I think those are three components that are are so important to us. There's so much more. I had a few other passages we could look to, but I just want to mention one other thing that I think is interesting. I think as pastors and preachers, expositional preaching is incredibly helpful, especially when we are preaching through a book because uh, people are anticipating what's next, right? Because we're preaching contextually. We're preaching in light of what was just came before and what's going to come later. I think just that in itself 
again, is going to draw people. They want to come again and they want to uh, see what's next, right? Mm -hmm. And when expositional preaching is done well and is done experientially, is done in a way that's really applying it to people's lives as well, there is a sense in which people also know that watching it on the screen just won't do it. There's, there's something going on as well that I want. And I, and I think I can say this pretty accurately. The churches that I'm aware of who are faithful and have been always to expositional preaching, they are not struggling with getting people back after, with, as the COVID restrictions ease up. Uh, that says a lot. That's good. We've kind of come full circle now today. We talked about at the beginning how when faced with opposition, the churches historically returned to scripture. And now we are facing a bit of opposition, a bit of a crisis in our ecclesiology. What is the church? Is it even important? Do we need to gather? And, and you took us right back to the scripture. So now as pastors and as church people, men and women, we are to go back to the Bible and say, what is God's design for this assembly, of this assembling together? What does he actually want? And we're to align ourselves mm -hmm. with that. And like you just said, there's so much more we can talk about so many more questions to ask and to seek answers to. And we'll plan to do that in the future episodes uh, concerning the ecclesiology, but for now we'll call it quits because it's been long enough. Look at you give a pastor a microphone. He just goes on forever and ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could say so much more if you want. No, <laughs> I know you could. I know you could. That's why I'm going to shut it down. Thanks Jay for joining us. And thanks you all for uh, listening today until next week. Grace and peace to you and yours. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.